Michael Lynn, the renegade solicitor who stole 18 million euro from the banks, became a symbol of the greed and recklessness of Ireland's Celtic Tiger era. Now, after years of trying to evade the law, Lynn has been sentenced to five and a half years in prison. But Gardaí believed that Lynn was able to hang on to some of the money he stole and that he's trying to keep it. This is in the news from the Irish Times. I'm Bernice Harrison. Today, Michael Lynn's millions. I talked to Irish Times reporter Colm Keena. In the early 2000s, in the Celtic Tiger era, as, as we now call it, solicitor Michael Lynn became rich through property I was going to say deals, but it's in fact property fraud. How did he make his fortune and how did it all unravel? Yeah, he's from Sligo. He had a solicitor's practice in Blanchardstown in the early 2000s. The property scene was taking off. Then he became involved in property development here in Ireland initially, but quickly he seems to have become involved in countries in continental Europe. He moved his legal firm into Capel Street and set up a property company called Kendar Holdings. And it started to trade in properties and to develop properties here and abroad and take investments from people and so on and borrow money from a whole range of banks. Solicitors can give things called the solicitor's undertakings that they lodge certain documents like the mortgage documents and so on in the registry of deeds and lodge a first legal charge. And so he started cutting corners and taking multiple loans on the same properties. So he'd tell the banks, I'm buying these five properties or these 10 properties and go into a bank and they'd say, OK, here you go. Here's a loan. Three months later, he'd be in a different bank, borrow money, maybe not against exactly the same properties, but some of them. Or in the case of his big house in Hoth that himself and his wife bought, they went in and got three loans from three different banks. So, so it's not master criminal stuff. This is straightforward fraud in he spotted a loophole in the system that he could exploit as a solicitor. And he was only able to do it because he was a solicitor. Absolutely. The judge said when he was sentencing him earlier this week that this was a chance for him as a solicitor. And he also noticed that the banks were a bit loose. Now, some of the banks would say, yeah, we'll give you the money, but we're going to get our own solicitor to, to lodge the documents in the registry of deeds. So then those banks had a charge over the property. Other ones were left swinging in the air. So this was all back in 2006, or around that time, the height of the property boom. How did it all unravel for Michael Lynn? Well, first of all, people noticed something was going wrong with, with his dealings in his legal firm and the Law Society began to investigate. And then the whole thing started to unravel. The banks heard about the Law Society investigation. Every, everything clapped. Plus, at the same time, the uh, property scene was itself collapsing. So what did Michael Lynn do? He sort of brazened it out in a way. He went abroad and he had a lot of this money that he borrowed from the Irish banks seemingly went into his property ventures in Europe, Portugal, Hungary, I think. And uh, he went over and seems to have continued to pursue property business over there. Meanwhile, the guardie here, the law, he got disbarred as a lawyer, the Law Society conducting investigations. And so it was well known over here that he, that he was in big trouble. So things were heating up for him. Yeah. He was in Europe. What happened then? Then he went off to Brazil. And there were a number of arrangements made for him to meet up with the Gardaí to give interviews when he was in Europe. They always fell through near the end, you know. And so why did he go to Brazil, by the way? He, he went with his wife. She was going back and forth to continental Europe, sometimes used an address in Portugal, I think. 
And then he went to Brazil and said he was pursuing property interests there, but he was also teaching English as a foreign language. She used to visit him and live with him over there. Meanwhile, they were starting a family. And then the, the authorities went to charge him and to extradite him from Brazil. Uh, he went to court and contested his extradition. He was held in prison while this court process was going on. And the process took four and a half years. And the prison conditions apparently were really awful. Was it a surprise to him, do you think, that he ended up in prison in Brazil, that that's what would happen when he fought the extradition? Well, I find it very hard to go inside his mind at all when you look at all that's going on and has gone on. But certainly he spent four and a half years in, in jail. You know, the first week in jail, he could have said, Look, let me out, I'll get in the first plane to Dublin. And he didn't. And the judge, who was said in mitigation or in a plea of mitigation, on Monday, he spent four and a half years in horrible conditions, conditions so bad that they would contravene the European uh, Convention on Human Rights and their provisions on cruel punishment. And uh, the judge accepted that argument to some extent. So instead of giving him credit for four and a half years, he gave him a credit for seven and a half years for the time spent in, in jail in Brazil. But as the judge said, you could, it's your, it was your choice. So he did come home in ex- 2018 yeah, yeah. when he was extradited, yeah. came home with his wife and by then mm-hmm. he had three children. Yeah. He wasn't put on trial until 2022, so four years after he came home. So that means he was out and about for four years. What was he doing in that time? Presumably preparing for his trial and trying to organise his affairs in some way. Um, when the matter came to court, the first trial, there were two trials. The first trial, 2022, it was stated in court that he was on social welfare and the family was living on social welfare on assistance from, assistance from family members. And um, he received legal aid. So, you know, he wasn't, you know, back making a, a living. Mm. And what his, happened to that trial? That trial uh, was a very lengthy trial and the jury didn't come to a decision. It was a hung jury. So then there was a delay and there was another trial uh, last year and that was a bit shorter. And in December, the jury found him guilty of 10 of the 21 charges that were brought against him. And they're all of theft. And the theft is basically spoofing to the banks while getting loans. So 10 of the 21 charges, he was found guilty. So... The 21 charges involved spoofing about loans totaling 27 million. 27 million euro. Now, the 10 for which he was found guilty accounted for approximately 18 million euro. What was his defence then in the two trials? His defence was that the banks knew that he was nominally withdrawing the money for these domestic purchases, but in fact using the money for property ventures abroad. And he said that, you know, he seemed to imply that this is commonplace or this this was one of the practices of the bank banking system during the boom. And members of the banking community came into the second trial and rebutted that evidence and all said, it's just not true. And what did you think? It's, it's just a claim. Undoubtedly, the practices of the banks were... There wasn't due care to make sure everything was, you know, lodged. Their their charges, their hold over this property wasn't registered. It's pretty shocking stuff. But they were crazy times. And it also crosses my mind that if it had been a very widespread practice, we might have heard of it in other instances of it, you know, because if banks were owed 10 million by Joe Bloggs and then discovered that 10 banks were or four banks were owed 10 million for the same 
property. Uh, you think you would have heard of it, but I don't recall it being a huge feature of the banking collapse. And we all spent a lot of time uh, covering it. Judge Martin Nolan on Monday said that he accepted that Lynn was a person who had many good points. He was energetic, very intelligent, accomplished. And he said he believed Lynn was capable of reform and of contributing to this country and society, as he put it, in due course. But, Colm, you have reported that Garthy believe that Michael Lynn returned to Ireland with a substantial portion of the 17.9 million he stole from the banks. And he is now, or... He has used the cash to bankroll a fresh criminal scheme here. What is the criminal scheme that Garthy believe Michael Lynn has cooked up? So on Monday, the judge heard the pleas for mitigation and came to his decision and made those comments about Michael Lynn. And then it looked like it was all over. And then one of the junior barrister in the prosecution's team stood up and said, well, there is one other issue. We may be applying for a confiscation order against certain assets. The judge looked kind of surprised and he said, what assets? Because Michael Lynn had been on free legal aid. He'd come back here after four and a half years in prison. He'd been facing all these trials. So the barrister said this property and bank accounts and that would be seizure, seizure of criminal assets. The judge looked pretty surprised by that. My, that was my impression. So we do know that the Guardi have raided a number of premises, including the home of Michael Lynn's wife down in County Wicklow. And they are investigating whether some of this money, it's generally believed that the Irish banks lent, went into property ventures in Europe and high living, expensive living. But the guards are investigating whether there was some left over or whether he had a stash of it somewhere. And they conducted these raids Five properties were raided, I think, in January. An armed guardie took place in these raids. And one of the people whose uh, home was raided is a Bulgarian national called Yavor Poptoshev. He's a 48-year-old man. He lives with his family in uh, Sologan, but he's from Bulgaria. He has described himself in court documents in the High Court as a friend and associate of Mr. Lin's for some time. Poptoshev was a director of a company, another director of which back in the 2010s, was Lynn's wife. So they have this relationship going back some years and then he set up these companies here and he's been raided by the police and according to court documents he's lodged in the High Court. The raid on his home, which he took exception to, is part of a, an investigation by the Guard the National Economic Crime Bureau into sus- suspicion that Lynn has been bringing money back into Ireland and this money laundering going on. Now, my colleague Conor Gallagher has, has reported that the Guardi have frozen about, about 2 million euros in accounts here. So he did bring money home? Well, no, they're, they're investigating. They're investigating. They're looking at a certain number of companies, whether the, the money is being laundered through these companies, whether the buying of property is part of this scheme. And they've raided Mr. Poptoshev's home and they've raided... Lynn's wife's home. The interesting thing is the house, which is down in the British area of County Wicklow, was purchased for €460,000 at the end of 2021 by a company, an Irish company called Ribblesway, that was set up just six months earlier and the director of which is Mr Poptoshev. So they've been living in this house and you can see from the filed accounts of this company that it has assets, fixed assets of about €460,000. So that must be the house. It has debts as well, but you can't see what who those debts are to and there's no sign of any 
bank mortgages anywhere. Okay, so you say that the judge on Monday, he looked surprised that, that this was unfolding. What was Michael Lynn's demeanour? I was watching him when he was in court that day and, 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 and once or twice when I, I dropped into earlier sessions and he tends to listen very carefully and, you know, is interested in the detail and so on. He doesn't show much on his face other than, you know, t- a tight focus. When the sentence was being handed down, he, he just sort of, sort of put his hands behind his back or his hands in front of him, listening to what was being said doesn't show too much by way of reaction. But then a very strange thing happened when he was convicted. Uh, later on that day, there was a, a very lengthy statement on his behalf issued by a solicitor, which sort of took issue with the, with the case and the finding and called for an eructus inquiry, which was all a bit strange for somebody who'd just been found guilty of robbing, you know, more than 10 million euros and had been sent off to jail for five and a half years. And he's an officer of the court, which is something the judge appoint. I mean, officers of the court, for, for listeners who don't know, solicitors and barristers, I mean, if they know something wrong is going on, they're supposed to tell their the court, even if it's not in the interest of their client. So Lynn was a solicitor and that's why he was doing these commitments that he would lodge all these documents. He was trusted because he was a solicitor and the judge made this point. He's really let his profession down. So it's extraordinary that a man who acted so contrary to the codes of his profession is still arguing, you know. There's no doubt that he did go in and put in multiple applications for loans based on properties and then these things weren't registered the way they should have been registered. And, you know, that's all terrible uh, for anybody, but it's atrocious for a solicitor. Do we know how much of the nearly 18 million that he stole that he has been able to hang on to? Or is that just what Gardaí are trying to figure out now? Well, I guess there's large amounts of money involved. When At his height, he had a lot of companies, he had a lot of bank accounts he had, in different jurisdictions, a lot of loans out. The original charges, 21 charges, involved 27 million euros. Hard to trace that kind of money. But we do know from Connor's reporting that something in the region of 2 million in bank accounts has been frozen at the moment. And when the issue returns to court in about two months' time, there'll be an application for the seizure of that money. And assets, presumably, as well. And assets, yes, because these companies that have been set up here in Dublin that we've been looking at, they seem to all be involved in property. So is the game up for Michael Lynn now? Well, you know, like the game has been up since 2007, really. Uh, You wonder what's going on inside his head. I mean, it was game up and, and... Whether he can process that and face up to that and accept it, I don't know. But uh, we heard a lot of stuff uh, during the sentencing hearing about the psychological toll on him of being in jail in in a very violent prison in Brazil, that he suffers post-traumatic stress disorder, anxiety, that at some stage in between everything collapsing and him moving to Brazil, He'd urged his wife to, you know, to leave him and forget about him, and that he was traumatised by the whole thing. But yet, like, he, he, like I say, he's a solicitor. He did all these things, these terrible, these crimes, but also this cheating and, and, and sloppiness and so on. And why he can't just face up to it and say, it, you know, he seems to want to blame others. Colm, at the sentencing in court, what did we find out about Michael Lynn? What drives him? What do we know about him? Well... I don't know him very well. I, I had a brief conversations once or twice. He came from a farming background, quite conservative, respectable family. 
it was said in court that there were high expectations and he absorbed these high expectations and was very ambitious for himself. He didn't stand up and say, I did this, I'm sorry, and come home and face the music. He kept on fighting it. He seems to determined to keep on going, that he's still ambitious for himself, despite everything, and that he really hasn't faced up to the wrongness of what he's done, that he wants to blame others. His, his wife and others did put in uh, documents in support of him, saying he was a good guy and, uh, and had been uh, tried to be a good father and so on, and was traumatised about the effects of all of this on his children. But when you look at it from outside, you think, well, you know, all the stuff you're doing is just making it worse and making it worse for the people who are closest to you and so on. So why are you doing it? And the only conclusion I have is, you know, he's a bit of a fantasist and he still thinks he's something special, you know. Of course, there could be something else in the background we don't know about, you know. There's a lot of odd stuff going on and so maybe there's something else there. Who knows? But from the facts that are available to us, he just looks like and this guy who has notions and still has them, maybe. But the story didn't end with his sentencing. The story obviously goes on. Colm Keenan, thanks very much. That's it for today. For more on the Michael Lynn case, subscribe at irishtimes.com forward slash subscribe. I'm Bernice Harrison. This episode was produced by Declan Conlon 